Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Aaron and Ryan Go to the Movies, Episode 1. It is your host, Ryan, and the other host, Aaron. A.K.A. Socks. A.K.A. Go Socks. A.K.A. Uh, you can basically put any adjective at the beginning and end it with socks, and that'll be my mood. Uh, when Harry, I didn't have a Harry, job, Harry Socks? Harry Socks. Oh, no. Harry Aaron was actually my nickname in 8th grade. Uh, but you can call me whatever socks... Literally, whatever socks you want, then uh, the, I'll be okay. I'm the, good. The amount of facial hair on this podcast is ridiculous. Actually, the amount of hair in general on this podcast is ridiculous. Um, seriously. Seriously. We, so, we, we kind of talked about this starting this on your podcast, your other podcast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of teased it on, on my podcast. So, we're going to do a different movie each week. And I couldn't think of a better thing to do than to go through the MCU in release order for what is available on streaming services. Um, for preference, this is the Disney plus list. So we will not be watching like the incredible Hulk or the two Spider-Man movies, but we'll be doing every other one. Um, and so I, we have to start at the beginning. This is episode one. This is Iron Man, the original, the movie that started it all. They don't make Marvel movies like this anymore. They and don't, and right. rewatching it made me sad <laughs> a little yeah, bit. It, it, it's the pint. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, because when you read it and if you did your research on it, like it had been in talks and development for a while, but it wasn't really put into action until Marvel actually got the rights, like before Marvel Studios reacquired the rights from what i remember i remember reading like a little or i saw like a little mini movie like uh yeah i forgot who did it on youtube it was like <clears throat> 10 facts you didn't know about the iron man uh movie and so i watched it so it was so weird because it was and people don't realize this they think the first marvel movie was when disney bought them um marvel studios existed before that um they reacquired the rights to a bunch of movie rights they sold that didn't get used and entrusted them to universal and paramount um so that's the fascinating part of this movie because this was this is the first Kevin Feige produced movie. Like people forget that. Like this is nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts to go back and watch this movie and think that they this movie was made for 50 million like 60 million dollars. It was low budget as hell compared to the modern Marvel movies. Yeah, for those who don't know Kevin Feige was er, is currently the president of Marvel Studios, correct? Mar- yeah, the, the TV studio, yeah. Or the production studios, not all of Marvel Studios. Yeah. There's yeah. two heads now because they deleted the film division. The TV division no longer exists. So it's him and Joe Casada who runs, aka Agent Q, who runs the other side of Marvel Studios, which is the comics. Um, the first thing that struck out to me about this movie is you could tell when they were using the real suits and when they weren't. You that was really Jeff Bridges reacting to getting fake shocked in a real suit on a real set with real lighting effects, and you could <laughs> tell. Yeah, and it's like the shot when they first he d- gets in the suit for the first time once it's painted and everything, and he gets ready to go out and fight. It, and that scene where the headpiece comes on and the mask goes down. That's a real mask. That's a real visual thing doing that. Yeah, and the crazy part is, like, it's... 
was 2008, so it was, what, like, 12 years ago? I mean, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but in terms of movie cinematography, 12 years ago is a long time. Like, 12 years, there's a big step. Like, if you put, if you remade Shop, as an example, Independence Day. Yeah. It would be one of the time as compared to when it actually came out. Now, people got to remember, in 2008, uh, what they were working with, they did best with what they had and what they, and, you know, the output of it. It was great because it was 2008. It was the first thing that Marvel kicked off in terms of the MCU. And what better way to do it than with Iron Man? And just talk about revitalizing Robert Downey Jr. for the next 10 years or so in terms of his career like it just skyrocketed him back to what he used to be like in the mid uh mid to late 80s and then early 90s and then he got in trouble and all that stuff but talk about just revitalizing everything it just brought him back and 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 people just like oh well the first iron man they they try to compare it to now but it's like you can't really because like i said 12 years ago everything was different Right, like, people don't realize, like, Kevin Feige was a producer who was on his last legs in Hollywood, like, he had produced a couple bombs. Jon Favreau just had one of the biggest bombs in 2005 in Zathura, which is a, which is based off of a novel by the same guy who wrote Jumanji. Um, Robert Downey Jr. had literally made one movie since his comeback, and it's probably his best movie, it's the one with, um... Um, Jamie Foxx, who plays the homeless piano player, and, oh, fi- and he plays the investigative journalist. Um, this was a movie that was originally supposed to be an $150 million action piece three years earlier at a different studio with Tom Cruise playing Iron Man. Oh, God. This was a movie that had its <laughs> budget slashed in third and had three people who literally had nothing left to lose make this movie and they didn't have a script that's insane that's literally insane um i think my favorite thing people probably don't know about this movie before we get into talking about the movie and reviewing it and stuff and taking and tearing it down a little bit more um yeah jeff bridges was not cast to play Obadiah Stane when he signed on to that movie in 2006. Who was it originally? He was supposed to play Stark. He was supposed to play Tony's dad. They were going to reveal that he was actually still alive and faked his own death and was actually Obadiah Stane in the third act. That's crazy. And and like, I, I read all these things about like the previous iterations of the movie and I'm amazed we got what we got. Although they did burn Jeff Bridges as yeah, a character like in the first MC movie. Like, that's the only downside to this. I mean, he... Jeff Bridges is just, like, a cult classic hero. Um, oh, yeah. But no, you're right. They literally just burned him down. Like, I wonder... And we can always play the what-if games. Like, what if we got someone else to play Iron Monger that wasn't Jeff Bridges? What yeah. if we actually got him as, you know, uh, Howard Stark and mm-hmm. all that? But... What we got was great. I feel yeah. like for what the budget for having their budget slashed into like a third, and it being like a half a billion dollar time is, is you gotta you gotta remember half a billion now is for the MCU is kind of garbage in terms of like today's modern times. But back in two thousand eight when it came out, that was big for them. That was 
the right foot for them to step step in for everything that came to yep. end up being what it is today. Yeah, it, it's absolutely nuts to think about. And, and the other thing that blows my mind about this movie, and we don't see this in the MCU movies anymore, and it's a primary criticism a lot of YouTube video essayists have made about the MCU, is we don't have the romantic relationship that was built like Pepper Potts and Tony Stark. We have, and I'm sure we're going to get into this when we watch Ant-Man, or at least I am, later, is the relationship between um, Van Dyne and um, Ant-Man. Paul yeah, Rudd's character. Uh, um, uh, I, 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 I always think of the first Ant-Man's name, and now I'm drawing blanks on both of them because I'm getting their names like mixed up. But Yeah, because there's two Ant-Mans for people who don't know. Spoiler alert. Three, actually, now. Um but it's so it's so odd like to see like an actual flirtatious romantic romantic relationship on screen rather than kind of like the platonic joke flirting we have in every movie now outside yeah. of spider-man which is really weird to say <laughs> <laughs> like you're right like, like the movie involving play. high schoolers is the only one that doesn't have like joke platonic flirting and actually has like relationship stuff in it yeah and and to 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 add to what you say, you're right. The whole romanticism of the 2008 Iron Man movie between Pepper and and Tony is not is something you don't see until like probably you're right until it's Scott Lang by the way. Yeah, there we go. Up. Thank you. Okay, is is another thing you you don't see um, between Hope and between Hope and, and Scott Lang, you don't see that in a movie. You know as as you do as much as uh, in iron man one so like you're right because they develop into like a real relationship have a family and all that but after that post iron man you don't really see any the, the, yeah. the like i know not all movies are are meant to be like romantic romantic movies chick flicks all that don't get me wrong i i know that but if you want to have have like the human element of a superhero movie be added into it i feel like you throw some romanticism in there and yeah which they did with Pepper and, and Tony, which yeah. is, I don't get why they don't do that in other movies. Like, it, they have the opportunity. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird because, like, and even though we have the advantage of 2020 hindsight now, is they did the same thing three years later in Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah, and they then, the chances. And then, in, and then in 2020 hindsight, we get the ending that we got in Endgame that made me ball like a baby and still does Seriously. but yeah. that makes no sense if you go back and watch the first Avenger because it was a platonic joke flirty relationship and this is the only relationship that's in the MCU that's lasted as long in the MCU that's not like that that's not a married couple yeah well yeah cause like the MCU has always been family friendly, but as but if you watch Iron Man one and two like we did, kind of see the shades of the romanticism. Right. And then going forward, they move less romanticism, more platonic, jokey, jokingly flirting to family friendly movies, which I get. But but seeing the the themes of the movies, it it, it saddens me and as a it, movie watcher. Yeah, and the more I think about it, the worse it gets because I just thought of Star Lord and Gamora who are dating exactly. in the movies, yeah. Yeah. and their relationship is still like that. Exactly. Um, it, <laughs> although Groot, although although everybody loves Baby Groot, and that's non platonic, yeah. and we're okay with that. Um, <laughs> he's just he's just so cute. Um, well, no. To add on to it, you kind of see 
shades of platonic slash jokingly like maybe possible relationship with mantis and and drax and guardians too yeah that's true too that's a, that's another one up there um there's just so much there's just so much with it um black widow and hulk in avengers age of ultron which i'm gonna go ahead and spoiler alert this is my least favorite mcu movie we'll get uh, there yeah we'll get there I, don't worry I, I i agree on some levels we'll get there i do i do we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> so we kind of laid the scene out for how this movie was made we, i i don't i don't even know where to go now like there's so much to talk about this movie this movie is so well put together and, and they did it without a script because this, unlike a lot of other origin stories, and they've tried to repeat the formula and have had some success repeating it with alterations to it. Um, looking at you, Doctor Strange, which is almost a point-for-point point remake of Iron Man. Anyway, um, it isn't about Tony Stark becoming Iron Man. It's about Tony Stark finding out who he really is. And that's the brilliant part about the movie. The suit and being the hero doesn't define Tony's arc in this movie. No, and and I agree with you 100% correct. Uh, this, you see Iron Man, you see, because we all know who Tony Stark was before he was Iron Man. Um, right. If you're familiar with the comics, uh, you know he's a billionaire playboy who... Genius philanthropist. Yeah, genius philanthropist who's self-centered, but... He does act like a superhero before he's Iron Man because of who he is, his name, and where he comes from. But I 100% agree with you when you say that this is this this underlying tone of showing not Tony Stark becoming Iron Man, but becoming who he, he is in the future could, in terms of yeah, like himself. For what he does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so and, and it's it's bonkers. Like it's a superhero origin story where the origin has nothing to do with him becoming a superhero. And this is why people have, and this is going to be a running theme for me, have such criticism of the MCU because they've gotten away from that, where their powers and being the hero define so many people in the, in the MCU now. I honestly think what you're saying is 100% correct, although I, I feel like they kind of come back to that in Captain Marvel but that's a big gap between Iron Man 1 and Captain Marvel that you not only see where the powers are the person and that's who they are because of the powers, where the person actually themselves, who they are as a character, not character, but who their integrity is and, and what they are as a person in terms of like their human form um, helps them become the, the hero they are. I feel like we don't see that until Captain Marvel, and that's yeah. a big jump. That's, that's a, huge a very jump. big jump. Um, yeah, that, I mean, you can agree or disagree, but that's, in my opinion, that's how I, because I agree with you when it says, yeah, when you, what you say, but I feel like that's the big jump it takes because you don't yeah. see that yeah. happen in like uh, other movies. It took it took eleven it took eleven years for them to hit it, and that's why I find people who don't like Captain Marvel I ironically funny because it yeah. is, and we'll get to Captain Marvel at the end, Eventually, and we'll we'll yeah. talk and we'll talk about her then because I agree that's a really really good point. Um, for those of you who who haven't seen this movie by somehow at this point, um, Tony is this arms dealer essentially because he runs a industrial military complex company, Stark Industries, and 
gets hit by his own weapon being used by terrorist against him and has shrapnel in his heart that he has to have this um arc reactor put in his chest to to essentially keep it out but it can also power his suit and that's that's pretty cool that the thing keeping him alive is also what is helping him become this hero and over the journey of this movie is instead of it just him being iron man it's him figuring out how far he's willing to go as a person in and outside of the suit and that's what makes iron man so compelling and why myself like many other people is wondering like where do they go from here because in this movie we see him go from this cocky guy who's like yeah i went 12 for 12 with last year's maxim cover models to um i'm gonna blow up my company's headquarters to kill my mentor because he's gone nuts (laughs) in an hour and 55 nuts two hours and it's two hours and 21 minutes it's one of the longest mcu movies yeah it is i was gonna say the runtime is almost a little bit over two hours yeah barely over two hours but yeah and not only or what is what not only what you are stating is true in terms of the on-screen but in terms of robert downey jr just as a person as an actor like i said this brought back his career but i really felt like this was a reality check-in and if he played his cards right and and did what he could to make this you know make himself tony stark in real life and yeah. in movies because before this we hadn't seen anybody portray tony stark um like this you know up until just cartoons you know when he makes his appearances right. like in uh like in spider-man um, cartoons and all that and like x-men and stuff but in terms of like actually coming back to reality and seeing what he can make this into and making it his own i feel like he's one of the better and well he's the only tony stark right now unless you count cartoons but he is probably going to go down as one of the greatest iron men to be performed because like we don't know what holds of the future yeah. i feel like they're going to do other they're things. they're gonna have another one eventually but it, it, it's kind of nuts and he's talked a lot about it interviews about how tony's rock bottom kind of matched his rock bottom yeah um mm-hmm. I've seen that, like, in Joe Rogan, I think. Yeah, which, by the way, is why the the hamburger scene is in Iron Man. Which is... Blows my mind. If, if you've never heard... If you've never heard Robert Downey Jr.'s story about why he decided to get clean, it involves Whoppers. <laughs> and is insane. I can't do it justice. You need to go listen to it. Um, But the character of Tony Stark is who changes in this movie. And that's the important thing to remember throughout the entire conversation of this movie. He changes his relationship with Pepper Potts. He changes mm-hmm. his relationship with the media. He changes yeah. his relationship with Rhodes. He changes his relationship with Obadiah Stane for the worst, and that's because he's the villain. Yeah. And Obadiah is the perfect foil in this movie, and I'll get to that point in one second. And he changes his relationship to how he handles his free time and what he does as Tony Stark. Instead of, I'm going to go out and party and be this playboy and these things, I'm going to get this suit done, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to kick ass and take names. Yeah, I agree with all that. You're right. He kind of distanced himself away from who he originally was, and you see him kind of grow as a character development as going in from basically yeah you're right like he's not this playboy anymore where he's like yeah screw you guys i'm iron man i can do what i want then turns into the whole 
he sees what's going on because of that whole incident what made him iron man in the whole in the cave with his web his him being hurt with his own weapons and kind of just slow in the movie you slowly develop seeing him grow into yeah a better not only just person as a like person who's a superhero but just person in general and you're right he distances himself from obadiah because uh if you haven't seen it spoiler alert obadiah is basically the iron monger he's the bad guy surprise yeah. <laughs> the bald guy with a beard played by jeff bridges is the bad guy i'm shocked um <laughs> and and it's really funny is is that obadiah is the perfect foil and they have the perfect foil device in this movie in the arc reactor, which their miniature arc reactor, which is one Tony has in his chest. Tony builds it to save his life and sees it as something that is essential to his well-being and his core and is essentially his heart now and wants to do good with it. Obadiah hears about it and is like, I can build an army with this and take over the world. And it's the exact inverse of it and you see these characters as two people who are very very similar and this one device flips their personalities and it's fascinating um yeah the other thing and i did not i did not come up with this uh, a couple video essays have brought this up which is the most brilliant part of when you see tony start to change is in the cave when he asks who jensen's name is because Jensen is equally as skilled in building these parts and helping him as Tony is, and therefore he sees him as an equal. And he doesn't ask for his name before that moment. And it's this whole idea of he's better than people, and that's yeah. when that barrier kind of drops. And so there's all these different layers and stuff that go into a movie that for the fourth time in 20 minutes, I'm going to tell you, did not have a script. That is insane because if we're just going through like kind of shot by shot, what it has so far, what we've talked about up into the cave, it's been a pretty like it's pretty in depth in terms for what the backstory has been made into so far up yeah. until this cave part. For not having a script, it's a pretty good. It's pre it's really good. We'll say yeah. I'll say that. It's it's really really solid too. And then he comes, he kind of comes back and starts working on, like, the Mark II and the Mark III suit. I think he gets up to Mark IV in the first movie. Um, uh, I think you're right, yeah. And Mark IV is very important. The Mark III has a problem with it, and we'll get to that in a minute. Later, later, <laughs> later. Uh, but he, he builds up all these suits and stuff, and he's kind of sitting there being like, I can be Iron Man, and holds up the mask to his face for the first time, because he hasn't put the full suit on, painted and yeah. stuff yet, and kind of holds it up, and then takes the mask off like takes it away from his face and it's like iron man isn't the mask for tony stark tony stark is the mask for iron man at that point mm -hmm. already he hasn't put the full suit on and gone full superhero but that's already the case it's insane i know with no script with no script it, it and then he goes to the whole th and we've kind of gone into the pepper thing they have the whole huge romantic scene at the the dance hall um the disney concert hall three years before Disney would buy Marvel. <laughs> what? I call that some epic foreshadowing. Very um, big foreshadowing. Which is, which is obviously where he confronts Obadiah about the injunction against him and them selling weapons to terrorist organizations under the table and Obadiah kind of being like, yeah, I'm actually the bad guy in this situation. I've been doing this and I filed the injunction against you and it's like... There's nothing you're going to do now. 
there's nothing you can do to stop me. There's Little does he do. know. That the suit is coming along just nicely, and everything comes into play, and it just... That's when, like, the real superhero elements of the movie kind of start showing, and then it really becomes just a, a nice, good superhero movie. Still with, with good romanticism with Pepper and character development and whatnot, but it, it starts becoming a real superhero movie at that point. Yeah, and this is kind of the other thing that I think we've kind of lost a little bit in the Marvel movies, too, because I'm going to jump ahead to the Ironmonger fight now. Um, because there's a, there's a lot of character development. There's the first time he puts on the suit. There's the first time he flies. There's when he goes to Gojira and blows up the tank and everything and saves all the people mm-hmm. and has yeah. that whole F-16 fight. But that's just really an action set piece to show off what the suit can do. It's mm-hmm. not really him being the hero yet. What happens in the Ironmonger fight when they're fighting on the freeway in L.A., besides a brilliant Fing-Fang-Foom cameo on a poster in the background, which is a... <laughs> talking psychic dragon that's one of Tony Stark's main villains in the comics. I'm still waiting for the MCU version of him. Ooh, um, it's going to be a while. It probably will be. They have a long well to go before they have to tap that villain out. Um, yeah. Is There's weight to everything they do. Like, they catch a bus, and they actually struggle underneath it and step back and stuff. And now it's just like, yeah, catches it with two hands and just sets it down and stuff nowadays. And it's just like... We've gotten so used to digital effects and things being able to be done digitally and things that we kind of lost, like, the weight of actions and reactions to things. And it was amazing to go back to the fight because it's still, despite the fact Ironmonger is one of these big, giant, gray villains that MCU seems to have a problem with, that the fight is better than a lot of what they've done in recent movies. You're uh you're on the you're hitting everything on the head with it that it shows the superhero and villain fight, but it just shows the human elements of their still superpowers. Yeah. Because like you said with the bus, how often do you see that nowadays? You really don't. And it's just more so quick like, okay, they're gonna throw an asteroid at you, boom, I'm gonna knock it out. Or like in a uh, Infinity War, you don't see. Uh, when they're fighting on the the moon or the planet, what planet is it where Doctor Strange is going to get hit with all that glass, and then you just see him, you Titan. know, yeah, you don't even you see him not even struggle and turn it all into uh into Butter, like water. Butter, butterflies, butterflies, yeah. See, like, where is that struggle? Where it's not there, and no, they do a lot of things in this first Iron Man movie. They do a lot of things right, and and the fight scene, like you said, on the highway is one of them. I mean, granted, it's the first big fight scene for the MCU. It's probably one of the better ones because it has just all those elements. It, it has what you want uh, of, of yeah. them rather than them brushing them off because they're superheroes. Right. It has it has that thing that you want in it. It has that action. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction kind of thing in, in superhero fights. Exactly. Um, exactly. Versus where you see people being pushed through buildings and buildings not falling down despite they missing four floors now looking at you man of steel um <laughs> hint, hint 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 no maybe maybe a long ways away from now i have a lot of problems anyway um we we kind of have seen this a, a few times in a few marvel movies now more recently too where fights have weight and it seems every time they give a new director who has his own approach to it, the first movie they make in the MCU has that weight. It has these things that we want in these final fight scenes. The original Guardians of the Galaxy. 
um, Thor Ragnarok with Taika Waititi. All these movies have this weight and things to it. And the second movie they get in the MCU, nowadays they kind of like don't do that. It's so weird to me that it seems like the first movie the director does in the MCU, like they manage to get it right and do something original and creative and have this weight and balance that we want in these fight scenes and all this stuff and make it real. And then the second time they're just like, yeah, big gray villain, huge CGI fight scene. Yeah, we're good. (laughs) And, and that's where they kind of start to lose the element of, of what they started with and then go to the whole MCU, um, starting, you know, to what it is now. And, and, and it kind of saddens me because you're right with what you say, the whole director thing. Um, they change directors. Everyone puts their own spin on things where in this case, I just feel like the, if you think that there's not much of a difference between Iron Man one and two, you need to go back and really watch it and dive into every detail that you see, because there's a big difference in one and two in terms of the fight scenes and just the cinematic characteristics of each specific thing, like romanticism, uh, superhero, uh, even some nepotism. Like it just, it's a big jump, and it just doesn't make sense because there's literally how many years? What two thousand eight was the first one? Ten was the second one, or was it eleven? Ten. See, only two years, and it just it doesn't make sense because, granted, it's two years. And a lot of things you can see change, and it just kind of saddens me because nothing goes back to that in terms of movies, right? Um, compared to now, it's spoiler alert. Be talking about Iron Man two next week, um, it, but that was burdened by its own problem, and we'll get to that next week when it happens. Um, this this movie and what it does and did is it set a precedent for how a hero in the MCU is supposed to be, and they have stuck too much to that. They haven't let directors take risks, or very many risks. Um, Kenneth Branagh really did a good job of pushing the boundaries of what an MCU movie could be with Thor. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Joss Whedon did an okay job in The Avengers, and then you see it occasionally. You see it with the Russo brothers in Winter Soldier. You see it with Gunn in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Um... You see it in um, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Captain Marvel. Every time there's a new director that takes over these movies, they seem to do a better job of reestablishing and adding something new and original to the formula and pushing the boundaries of it. And it's not a surprise that all of the movies I just mentioned are in people's top five. Yeah, and the funny thing you say that both Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Winter Soldier are probably two of my favorite MCU movies. Because it was their first movie in the MCU, and they didn't have to listen to the BS of the formula that was established in this movie. But the problem is, and why I've gone on about this for like 20 minutes, is they get the formula wrong. It's, no, you're right. It's just... Go off. They have the formula set in the first one. Winter Soldier was amazing. Guardians 1 was amazing. And then they they they... They, they take a step back. They give, like, example, Guardians 1. They say, okay, Gun, give us some more rain. You have enough. Let's do this and this and this instead of giving you complete control, which is not the way to do it, which is the jump between Iron Man 1 and 2. And if it ain't broke, don't break. Granted, Iron Man 
wasn't the best movie. Yeah. Overall, but at that time, it set the precedent for the romanticism between two characters in a superhero movie that we hadn't seen before, and it just set the way for that type of style of of superhero movie. Right. Movie to be um it just misses the mark in two completely in my yeah exactly it, and it kind of is Pepper Potts and, and Tony Stark it, in this movie and what it sets up over the next however many movies they appear in together um it's unfortunately only the second best romance in a comic book movie ever I don't think anything unless the MCU decides to change directions will top um I'm trying to think here I can't think of the actor's name Kristen Dunst and Tobey Maguire in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy because oh, yeah, yeah. yeah nothing's gonna top that sorry I had mm-hmm. brain fart um and unless something dramatically changes in who's writing these movies and who's directing these movies and letting these people who are directing and writing them get more free reign like they had with this movie because nobody thought it was going to do good. We won't we won't have something on that We're level again. <laughs> again, without a script. Without a script. No, and and you're right and like don't get me wrong, the first three were okay, but the one thing they did get was the Kirsten Dunst Toby Maguire relationship in those movies. They got it. They made it what it really was, was a teenage love story because, like like we know, they're playing high schoolers, and they got it right. And you see shades of that with Pepper and Tony in the first Iron Man movie, but then you don't see it ever again. Like, you, you barely see it in, in yeah. Guardians 1 between Gamora and Star-Lord. And then, like you mentioned earlier, you him uh, with Hope and Scott in the first Ant-Man movie. Yeah. But that's a big gap to... more than just platonic flirtships in in their movies. Right. Um the the other the other funny ironic thing uh, about about what they've done with the MCU is uh, and started in this movie is they've gotten the formula wrong. Um and and that's and it's not the the platonic relationships or anything it's that it's that people look at Iron Man and say, "Oh, it's Tony Stark becoming the superhero." It's him journeying to become Iron Man and become this person that we mourn at the end of Endgame. Spoilers. It's been a year. Um, and that's not it. It's him becoming the person he needs to be to be- then become the superhero later. And I don't think he actually becomes Iron... Like, is Iron Man and really thinks of himself as Iron Man first and Tony Stark second until Iron Man 3. And again, we'll get to that when we get to that. And so... It's ironic that they built their entire formula and their entire systems of this off of essentially what is a falsity. No, yeah, and you're right. Um, It's that whole narrative where they don't need me because I'm who I am. I need, like, like... it's not a complex of they don't they only need me because I'm Iron Man. It's more like, no, you need yourself because you're Iron Man because that's what's humanizing you and that's what's actually making you the person you are. And and they get away from that in a lot of these movies because you're right. Like, don't get me wrong, I, just a horrible example probably, but Drax 
he's a superhero, but if you really kind of bring it onto it, Drax is just a horrible person with the horrible intentions. And and that's what I feel like they're getting away from because like like I said, Iron Man, he needs to be Iron Man because it makes him better as a person and it really humanizes him as Tony Stark. Because if he ended up being Iron Man and stayed the way he was as the person before he became Iron Man, he'd be such a horrible superhero. He'd be the worst superhero of all time. And and you literally see them portray that in Iron Man too. Which Hey, which, the formula's wrong. It doesn't make sense. No, it's so it's so weird that they make this movie and establish such a great formula, and then the second movie they're like, "Yeah, we can't do this." It's like it's a, it. If they kept making movies with the creative process of three people coming together, like they did to make Iron Man one and make the MCU, would we have had a movie that was probably as good as Avengers Endgame? Probably not. Would we have a lot more original, creative movies in the MCU instead of this formulaic stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't know which one's better, and it's killing my brain. <laughs> no, I agree. And and it's the whole thing of, okay, you did this right the first time, but let us have more control the second time, and we're just going to make it better. When it... Right. So I right. can agree with you on that. Right. Though. And it's like... And they, and they kind of did it. They did four differently. They did Captain America differently. They did the Avengers fantastically. And then it's kind of like, Thor the Dark World, we're going to remake Iron Man 2 with Thor. Captain America. Captain America the Winter Soldier, we're going to make original again, and it's going to be everybody's favorite MCU movie. Weird how that like, works out. Um, Guardians of the though. Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, we're going to make an original movie, one of everybody's favorites. Why did that happen again? Then we're going to make the worst movie of all time, Age of Ultron. And then we're going to do Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and do Iron Man remakes with different characters. Why does nobody like these movies? I don't know. It's a mystery. I think, unfortunately, Kevin Feige is both the MCU's greatest strength and biggest weakness. So he's its own super. He's he's its own hero, but it's its own villain. It's the same yeah, it's it's think. the same side of the coin in that he he created this amazing original thing and you know never wanted to do something creative or original again wanted to make this superhero movie formula and create these movies and it's sad because I remember him explaining phase two when they were talking about phase two when Avengers came out and talking about how you know Ant-Man was going to be a superhero movie second but it was going to be a heist movie first and all and talking about all these things about how the genre of superhero was going to be secondary to what these characters' primary attributes and genres they would fit in would be, and they kind of threw that all away just to make money. And I get it; making money is very, very attractive. I have a Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/RyRyJones. Support the podcast. Hashtag shameless plug. Didn't see that one coming, but it, it, and then they kind of went away from that, and it's it's frustrating because you can see that. Every movie could have been like Iron Man. Every movie could have and been like this. It could have, and but like you said, if every movie was like Iron Man, they follow that formula. Would we have gotten Endgame? Who no, knows? no, 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 no. I mean, like, oh, keep kept creating original concepts oh, around no, these yeah. heroes, not necessarily following the Iron Man formula like they did. No, I get it, and you're right though, because they're getting it right the first time. 
and then once the second time comes around, they see what they have. <clears throat> they're thinking they're making it better, but it's just bringing it a, a couple steps back. And no, I take that back. Not a couple. It's bringing it some miles back. But they always bounce back with the next movie. But it's kind of like a it's like a repetitiveness. Like, okay, Iron Man, amazing. Iron Man 2, step back. Iron Man 3, coming a little bit forward. Thor, right. huge step forward. Thor Dark World, huge step back. Thor Ragnarok, forward. You know, yeah. Ant-Man, forward. Ant-Man and Wasp. Back, side si- side step side step side step side step on Ant Man and the Wasp. We'll get there. I I liked it. I liked it. I like Ghost. I thought it was great. I I thought it was a great. I thought it was. I it had probably one of the probably one of the only original plot twists in an MCU was... movie. We'll get there when we get there. It only came out like two years ago. I don't want to spoil it yet. Um, but wow, it feels like forever ago. I know. Um, this movie also set up something dangerous, too, which is something that has plagued our society since 2008. Believe it or not, it's it's only been 12 years since these things started. Does it rhyme with host Reddit memes? Yes, it does. Which is the post credit scene. This set it all up. It did. It, it really did. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first Iron Man, we're going to talk about the post credit scene, so skip the next five minutes. Three, um, two, one. Warning over. Um, Nick Fury shows up at the end of this movie, and he's played by Samuel L. Jackson. And, it's, and like, he doesn't even show up as in, like, hey— Knock, knock, knock. Hey, ring the doorbell. Oh, it's like he just shows up out of nowhere. He Tony comes just... home from some yeah. undescript event, and he's there, and he's standing in your house back towards you like, I am Iron Man, really? And it's like, oh, hello. And then, like, you're right, though. It's plagued everything because, like, and you know what's funny is that it's going to kick it back. I remember seeing this um, with this this guy from my church, Doug. Shout out to Doug. He's probably never going to hear this. Um, we list – we go see – and then we got to stay for this. I mean, there might be something at the end. but And then he goes – and then nothing happens. And then he goes, you know what? My friend's a jokester. You know, he's probably like – He's probably just joking, and and he probably is pulling a prank, you know. So let's just go. And then as soon as we get up, we see the the post credit scene, and then we sit back down. And then the funny thing is, I had up until that point in my life, I had been big into comics, but only really DC because I was a, I'm still a big Batman fan, and I always was my whole life. And then the ride home, he explained to me everything with Nick Fury and all that, and yeah. I was like, what the hell? Like this is. And I remember just talking like, this is going to set it's up for huge. like for the future. It's all huge. Yeah, it's going to set up for the future, and it did. Something, you know, I was actually right about. Um, I think my favorite thing is that's not actually the original cut of the post credit See, Nick Fury had, like, a 25, 30-second monologue originally. And they just didn't go with it, right? They didn't go with it because they realized they didn't have the rights to mention some of these characters' attributes. The original, <laughs> the original thing after he says, you've entered a world bigger than you realize— and he goes, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Project. There's 20 seconds cut out of that where he goes, you've entered a world bigger than you realize with kids swinging around after being bitten by radioactive spiders in a world filled with mutants with powers you wouldn't believe. And I'm like, oh my god! They thought they could sh- get away with that? What? I don't... I mean, granted, it's it's 2008, but still... 
Like, how can you not know what that is after describing that so specifically? You know what I mean? Right. But the thing about it was, was they thought this, they literally thought they were going to have the Spider-Man rights within like six or seven months because they were going to lapse because Spider-Man 4 had fallen through. Joe, which I, uh, and then, you know, what's funny is we skip right into the post credit scene, but can we not, can we go back and talk about how Iron Man 1 ends where he is at the press conference? He's like, I'm Iron Man. Like, screw you guys. It's like the whole uh, South Park, screw you guys. I'm going home. He's like, screw you guys. I'm Iron Man. It's Tony Stark taking over though. It's like the old Tony coming back for a second. And it's so brilliant. Um, It's such a great end of the movie. It's my third favorite ending line of a regular movie, excluding post-credit scenes of, of all time. Um, mm-hmm. My first two favorites are bo- how both the Spider-Man movies end. The sp- like, <laughs> what the? <laughs> um, See, like- from Ant-Man, the first movie. It's just too funny to not love. Um, but it's so good because it's it's full circle for Tony because it's the same room he had the press conference and when he came back no you're right and and also Phil I miss Phil Coulson I want Phil that, back shout out to Phil <laughs> shout out to uh, Phil spoiler, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Agents of Shield yeah shout I mean, out if, to... you, if you if you haven't seen any of the of Avengers movies post you know Agents of Shield uh, Agents of Shield shout out to, shout out to Phil Coulson oh the real OG Shout out to Phil Coulson, the real OG Shield agent. Um, strategic <laughs> Homeland Intervention Enforcement Something Division. You guys should really think about getting an acronym for that. <laughs> of course, having read the comics, like I knew what the acronym was when they said that, like thirty minutes into the movie, and I was like, "What? <laughs> oh my god!" There's so many like good nods too in this movie. Like, there's not really like any like major hints at characters or anything but there's some really really good like winks to the camera too which is nuts no yeah and and the funny part is i mean to separate itself from a movie into like the comic book movie you really don't have much to work with with iron man Mm -hmm. so i'm kind of glad they used iron monger as the stepping stone right i mean because I feel like spoiler the villain in three is the Mandarin. You can't start off the first Iron Man movie and have the villain be the Mandarin. No, it's not even the real man. And spoiler alert, it's not even the real Mandarin. It's not even the Mandarin that we know and love in the comics. We are getting the Mandarin next year, though, in a movie for the first time. Is that, uh, he's getting his own show. He's getting his own show though, right? No, he's, he's, he's the bad guy in Shang-Chi. Is he? Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, you know, I mean, I don't know who the villain is, but, to dive off into something else because you brought that up uh do you know who's playing the villain in the new thor uh movie christian bale i'm so excited because i know i think i I think i know who he's playing and i think he's gonna be around for a while i heard a rumor but i don't know if it's too true but that's for another day (laughs) that's for another day we'll talk about when we get to the thor movies it in game and everything um yeah this movie has so much packed into it it's kind of crazy and the pacing's great, too. That's the weird part. Like, it kind of goes, but then it slows down before an action scene, so the action scene speeds up, and then it kind of slows down again. And it kind of... It has really, really good pacing, again, for a movie that was filmed with basically without a script. Once again, asterisk. Uh, there should be an asterisk in the... There uh, should be. In the description. No, no, in the description for this episode, it's going to say, today we talk about Iron Man, 
the first Iron Man movie, asterisk, and all the way at the bottom. Also, it didn't have a script, by <laughs> the way. Movie, this movie was filmed without a script. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy to think about what this movie kind of set up without intentionally setting up anything. Like No, you're right. Like, Nick Fury, they got Samuel L. Jackson to play Nick Fury as a one-off. They literally signed him just to come in and film the cameo because Kevin Feige was like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Like, if this movie takes off and sets something off, this is cool. What could could we do? Yeah. And we really have to be so thankful that, you know, Marvel Studios was willing to put money into this. Paramount was willing to put money into this even after their original plans failed. Where we're kind of even blessed we got this movie and think about where we are just 12 years later with this thing. No, yeah. I mean, 12 years is not a long time in in terms of, you know, kids, like, aging 12 years, but the movie universe, one year is, is is like five, like, one year is like five years, in my opinion. Not five years, but it's like, it's like one year in dog years, you know what I mean? How that's seven years? Yeah. Um, And to go back to real quick, the pacing, in all honesty, you don't see the shades of this pacing in Iron Man 1 in another MCU movie, in my opinion, you could say otherwise, but in my opinion, you don't see pacing like this until Winter Soldier. Yeah, I was going to say the Russo brothers do a really, really good job, and we'll get to why they do a really, really good job. There's a specific reason why they're good at pacing, and it's one of their strongest attributes as directors when we get there. John Favreau did such a good job with this movie. He just... He's a whole lot better on that side of the camera. Like, don't get me wrong. He's I love Happy, on... though. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't, though? I mean, I love him and in, in for what he does. But if you were to throw him into, like, a Tony Stark-type role, not as a superhero, but just, like, on screen time, I don't think he'll give you what he gives you behind the camera. But, like, think about what he did in camera, which is the first time we see Tony fly. We're not seeing these gorgeous widescreen CGI shots of him flying through. We're very in tight on the CGI suit. We're in the helmet with Tony. We're experiencing this with him instead of doing all these grandiose CGI shots that we have now. He knows what we want to see and how we want to see our superheroes portrayed in this movie and what's important. Like, instead of doing the wide shot hero shot when he's in the full suit, it's a close-up of the mask closing for the first time. Right? Like, it's all those little tiny things that he knows comic book fans like in action panels and things and what makes it that makes this movie the to me the gold standard of how an mcu movie should be directed and should be made without having the formula of being an iron man clone no yeah and i agree and and you see shades of small things they do right in this movie and other movies like we talked about throughout this episode but if they would have just gone to stick to what they did in this movie without making it an iron man clone you'd have so much better feedback for certain movies um, in the MCU that weren't highly praised like other movies were, but we can't all have what we we can't have our cake and eat it. You know what I mean? Right. It's one of those type situations. Which Iron Man one still was the best thing to happen to the MCU because it did a lot of things right with no expectations. Right. And and call oh, and back without a script and without a script. <laughs> Call back to what you said earlier, though. I don't think there's another director who got what we wanted to see in a superhero becoming a superhero in that moment until Carol goes supernova for the first time in Captain Marvel on purpose. 
And it's not a wide shot. It's not the hero shot. It's not a close-up of her face. It's a close-up of her fist going supernova. Which 11 years apart. 11 years apart 11. to get that to happen. And, you know, the MCU in their hands, in James Gunn's hands, in Taika Waititi's hands, and a few other amazing directors, I feel like they're in good hands in terms of us getting to those type of movies again. I, and, because we're in phase four now, right? Yeah. So, if, like, not paying, not paying no homage, how I say this, like, as, this is probably the worst example, Fortnite going back to the basics with chapter two, season one, yeah, is basically what Iron Man, what they, what Iron Man, basically what I'm saying is, the first Iron Man movie is chapter one, season one of Fortnite. Yeah. What chapter what phase four needs to do is turn it back like Fortnite did in chapter two, season one, and just go back and pay homage to the cinematic elements, not only just the romanticism, but the whole the hero's not made the hero's not be is not the hero because of what they do and what their powers are, but more so the human elements that make the hero just so much better as a character. And I think we're gonna get that because the first movie coming out in Phase Four is The Eternals. Oh my gosh! Which has a star-studded cast. If you it's an amazing it. cast and uh, some amazing, amazing things too uh, that have been rumored to be in that movie. Oh, or actually, we know we're in the movie. The Black Knight is gonna be in that movie. Uh, it's what's his name, right? Played by Kit. Played by Kit Harrington. From yeah, from uh, yeah. Game of Thrones. So, so, besides creating, unfortunately, the Iron Man formula for superhero movies, what's what is Iron Man one's legacy in the MCU in these in the Infinity War saga? It kind, in my opinion, I'll go first. It just kind of sets the tone for how, in my opinion, how a superhero movie should be made. Not saying do a copycat of it, but just making him more have show him more the human side and not flashes like because you see flashes of it with star lord in guardians one and two but you don't really dive into it i think it's because it's a group you know hero movie yeah because iron man's a solo you know but iron man's in my opinion the contribution it made to the whole mcu it just got it didn't flop i mean money wise yes at the time but yeah we're not talking about a billion dollar box office boom it only made it only made five hundred and fifty million dollars in theaters, but its contributions lasted a legacy because lasted its whole. It just in terms of superhero movies. Certain directors. Oh, remember, like, like, look what they did in Iron Man in this romantic element. Let's try just put our own spin on it. Like, let's do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just they have things that other directors and producers pull from that right. you don't really see in a universe. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see the, um, how do I explain it? Like, well, I mean, no, that's a horrible comparison. I'm not going to say that. Okay. But, like, it, it just it just brings it together in a way where, hey, he did this right the first time. Let's not copy that, but let's put our spin on it and make it our own thing, but still 
it'll remind the the viewer that hey oh i remember like that's like kind of what they did in the first iron man movie you know right. just bring it back to its roots have a nostalgic kind of feeling even though it's only 12 years it, which is amazing which is yeah, nuts. i know i know it's nuts to be from that movie to infinity into endgame in 12 years um to me the the impact in the legacy of iron man in the mcu is the gold standard to which every movie has tried tried to aspire to and very few have gotten close yeah, no one's gotten... The ones that have gotten closest, though, are all in my top five favorite MCU movies. Go ahead and name them. Winter Soldier. Yeah, pacing. Um, Civil War. I didn't like Civil War. Guardians of the Galaxy. One, right? Yeah, Volume 1. Okay, yeah. Volume Cap- one Captain-, Captain Marvel and Endgame. Yeah, because... The big thing, the what that which which shouldn't be a thing. There shouldn't be a big gap. They should have done. They made the human element a big thing in Iron Man One and Captain Marvel, yeah. but it, it took them how many long, how many years, eleven years to get that right. You know, simil- those similarities. It, it shouldn't right. have been like that. You should have gotten that like in. I mean, you kind of do in Captain America, and we'll be talking about that in three weeks. So. But, but barely, but, but not barely, a lot. but not a lot because, it, and this is the thing that I think they've struggled with too, and why I think despite Iron Man almost being literally cut the year this movie came out from Marvel Comics for selling so poorly, it's another amazing thing about this movie. With another, with no script, with no script is they picked a character they could humanize because how can you relate one on one to somebody? Granted, it's hard to relate one on one with a billionaire philanthropist genius. But yeah. <laughs> he's a human who has to build this technology to keep him alive and to be a hero. How can you relate to a god of thunder? How can you relate to a superhuman soldier? How can you relate to, I mean, Hawkeye or Black Widow? Probably, but they're also super spies. They you were can. born born and raised and trained in these black rooms to, or red rooms in Black Widow's case, to be these people, how can you relate? The easiest one to relate to that if you go back to the original lineup of heroes is probably Iron Man. Because uh, if you haven't read the comics, his biggest villain in the comics is alcoholism. Himself. <laughs> Himself. Yeah. And that's what makes him the most human character and why he's the central character that takes this from Iron Man 1 in 2008 to Endgame in 2020. Who is, in your opinion, is the most second relatable in terms of human-wise for a superhero? Because I have an <sighs> answer I feel strongly about. Captain America. I think it's Ant-Man. I th- yeah, Ant-Man's third for me, though. I mean... Scott Lang, Ant-Man, not... Yeah, Yeah. no, yeah. Because Scott Lang, Ant-Man, is just a, a Joe Schmo, in my opinion. He's just a criminal. Because, where... yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but to me, Captain America is this because... Because at the end of the day, and by the time we get to Infinity War, is he's literally just a worn-down old man. You're right. It's literally just, the world has just beaten him down. And he knows he's out of his time, and he thinks he's never going to be able to go back to his own time, and it's beaten him down. And he's defeated by the time we see him at the start of Endgame running therapy sessions. Yeah, which is, is, and, a, is an interesting scene to see. It's a more human version of the character than we've ever really gotten in the comics to be honest and in terms of like in terms of copying iron man and setting the standard 
you can make a case for seeing that human element in Captain Marvel, but you can also make a case. I just thought about this for uh, for Ant Man, because he's just the father trying to do right, and I feel like a lot of fathers oh. who took their kids to see that movie kind of yeah. like granted they, they, they probably don't have that criminal past, right? They don't have that criminal past, but <laughs> but still, like they're there's not, that human element. They're not Eddie Guerrero having to lie, cheat, and steal to make ends meet. <laughs> That's true. So, not working at Baskin Robbins. <laughs> boom. Boom. I got an Eddie Guerrero reference in an episode one. I'm feeling pretty good about that. You got to work in Chris Benoit next time. <laughs> Who? I'm just kidding. Chris Benoit. Who? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, any any last any last thoughts on, on the first the first movie in this MCU journey? Any last thoughts is if you have not seen this movie recently and you won't pick up on anything we said do yourself a favor and listen to this podcast watch the movie and you'll see everything in terms of what oh, yeah. we're comparing between all the marvel movies and you'll see you know what as without a script you'll see that this movie really did set a certain paving the way for the way movies should be done in terms of specific elements right. for superhero movies right i i I think my last thought is this. If you haven't seen it in the last two years since Infinity War came out, actually probably since Civil War came out, do yourself a favor and go back and watch this, and hopefully more people will be like me and a bunch of other people. This is the standard to which every MCU movie should be made in terms of originality and finding the person behind the mask or the character, the superhero that they are, because that's what makes these guys relatable and what we love about them in the comics, and we're kind of missing that in these action-based superhero movies now. Wait, I 100% agree with you on it. We are missing that. On that, that bombshell. <laughs> on, that, on that bombshell. Um, we'll be back next week with Iron Man 2, which apparently Twitter thinks is one of the top three worst MCU movies of all time. Oh, that's very disagreeable. It is. We'll talk about why next week. Because <laughs> so... they they this is Iron Man 2 is the start of my Kevin Feige problem. On that post-credit slash teaser scene, we will see you guys next week. Bye now. See you guys next week. Enjoy.